Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The Law Enforcement Today Show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Many are using the term epidemic to describe the current problem of drug and or alcohol abuse in the United States. Virtually everyone we know has been negatively impacted by this problem. Yet for so many that are experiencing the devastating effects of drug and or alcohol abuse, they don't know who to turn to for help. Who can we trust to care for our loved ones? Transformations Treatment Center is one of the most respected, ethical, and professional drug and alcohol treatment centers in the world with a strong focus on individualized care, offering a wide range of holistic, specialized, and medically supervised treatment programs. We know that many of you have questions. Take the time to call Transformations Treatment Center for the answers. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Or go online to transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from Maryland, another guest from Maryland retired Montgomery County, Maryland police officer, Molly Stone. Thanks so much for joining us on the Law Enforcement Show. Very much appreciated, Molly. Thank you. It's good to have you here. I've had lately, I think, three, four guests on from Maryland. And by the way, Montgomery County, if you're not familiar with it, it's a suburb of Washington, D.C. And of course, me being retired from the Baltimore, Maryland Police Department, I'm intimately familiar with that part of the United States and Montgomery County as well. And I think we've had a couple of guests on in the past from Montgomery County, so it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. One of the things we'll be talking about, I'm going to refer to you by a, a woman who's phenomenal uh, force, Karen Solomon from Blue Help. She said, you got to talk to Molly Stone. By the way, Blue Help, they are leading or say one of the groups that is a leading force behind suicide awareness and prevention, particularly with our law enforcement officers. And this is not a new problem. It's a bad problem and it's gotten worse, but it has been a problem since I was a rookie police and before. It is. And Blue Help is an amazing organization. They're doing so much to just bring awareness to an issue that I think has affected a lot more of us than we would realize. Yeah, and it's not one of those things that a lot of us want to talk about. I'm very lucky. I didn't go through, so far, I should say, my entire career and and retired. No one that I was close with has died by suicide. However, there have been multiple officers from my department who that I knew of, that I was aware of, that have died by suicide when they were still active, and quite a few when they retired. Very much so, and I think that... As we're learning and as we're collecting data, especially through the information that Blue Help is getting, I think that we are seeing that we're getting some more historical information, so we have more people willing to come forward. The more the stigma about mental health and suicide is eliminated, I think we're going to start getting better results, and we're going to be able to start decreasing those numbers. Obviously, you became aware of this from some incidents in your life, 
particular in your career with law enforcement. We'll talk about that later. But first, I want to focus on some of the things you're doing. Uh, Karen made mention that she became aware of you at Police Week when you started posting photos of officers who died by suicide at the wall. Tell us about that. So after losing my closest friend on the department to suicide, I felt like she had given her life to police work, just as everybody else did. And it, it was just really for me to remember her and have a place because Unfortunately, when law enforcement officers die by suicide, their families are lacking that place to go to be able to gather and to be able to remember. And I feel like by not having that, we're almost taking away from the time that they did give to their department. Just carved on the wall at the law enforcement memorial, you know, it says it's not how they died, but how they chose to live. And these officers did choose to live a life giving back to their communities and serving others. And so it really just initially started as I needed a place to go and a place to grieve her loss. And over the years, I found more and more people that I became aware of that had also died by suicide and started to include them. So my memorial started to grow every year. And then I started noticing other people were taking photographs with it and putting comments saying, hey, I'm holding up a photo of my loved one with this memorial of others. And I started realizing that there were more and more people that needed the same thing that I needed, which was a place to go and remember their family or their loved ones. And so through working with Blue Help and talking with them and some of the other organizations, we've been able to get families together and start to kind of give them that place and that that opportunity to recognize the people that they loved. To provide a little bit of context for people who aren't aware, line of duty deaths, that often incorporates ones we think of, deaths by violence or violent crime, shooting, stabbing, mm-hmm. all those sort of things. Also, accidents, people having a heart attack on the job, that's also covered. Mm-hmm. And what has not been covered for a very long time is death by suicide. And as a matter of fact, in just my opinion, it has been treated as, as if it was the stepchild and swept under the rug by most departments. And we'll talk about some of the reasons why they do that. Mm-hmm. But traditionally, deaths by suicide in law enforcement far outpace line of duty deaths. I believe last year was almost two to one, almost twice as many deaths by suicide. Mm -hmm. And and again, we have to remember that these are just ones that have been reported to us that have family members willing to accept that form of death and are willing to make that notification. And we have to remember that there's a lot more happening that we don't know about. And part of the reason I, I think... And I'm going to ask you, point blank, why Why do you think this is happening? Um, I, I can't say that I know why it seems like the numbers are increasing. I do think a lot of that is just due to reporting that we're aware. But I think that's something, it's been going on for a long time. There's outside stressors. I don't think we're doing any favors to law enforcement the way that they're being criticized and every move they make is being recorded and videoed and put out for the public to make judgment without having all the facts. I think that that takes a toll on anybody, but I also think that the career of a law enforcement officer is expanding to being a family counselor, a mental health provider. You're doing so many different jobs and different tasks, and I think it just takes a toll on anybody. Anyone that has compassion and wants to see the good in people and wants to see people healthy and doing good for one another, you know, it's hard to see scenarios where that's not the case, and I think that any normal person is going to have reactions to it. And sometimes those reactions tend to build up 
sometimes due to outside circumstances, sometimes just simply due to what you see in the job. And, and I think that we're not doing the things that we need to to kind of prevent this before it becomes such a large problem. And I agree with you 100%. I, I'm not a, not a psychologist, not a psychiatrist. I, I'm just an old retired cop who's a radio DJ now. And I, I, I do know, with the help of people like Karen Solomon of Blue Help and other organizations, that there, there's a, a triad, for lack of better words, that often happens that precedes these law enforcement, first responder, deaths by suicide. And post-traumatic stress is certainly a big issue, one of them. Substance abuse quite often is an other issue. But with that, the substance abuse quite often is a result of post-traumatic stress or all the stress that they go through all the time. You have isolation, relationship problems. That's another part of the thing. And then quite often is getting into a problem at work, a disciplinary problem at work. And for whatever reason, it becomes a cascading series of events that are too much for that, that person to handle. Exactly. I, like I said, I don't think that we have steps in place that are catching things soon enough. I think we're letting it go to the extreme where then you say, well, why is this person drinking? Or why is this person angry? Or why is this person withdrawn? Or so many of the other things that we now know are signs that can be leading up to post-traumatic stress. And what we need to do is start building that awareness and teaching officers, supervisors, um, and everyone, even the civilians involved in the department. But just how can we start to recognize these things and catch it sooner and provide the help before it becomes a crisis? We're going to take a short break. We're talking to Molly Stone, retired Montgomery County, Maryland police officer. This is the Law Enforcement Face Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those suffering from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformation Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. Back to our conversation with Molly Stone, retired Montgomery County, Maryland police officer. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Molly, before I forget, thank you for your service. It's very much appreciated. And I'm working very hard at getting better at saying you're welcome when people thank me because I really never quite know what to say. No, it is always a, an awkward um, situation. You don't why know is how to that? that? I don't understand why why it's so awkward, but it's like someone, it's, it's like asking a girl to dance when you're in middle school it's horrifying i don't know why i don't know i think because so many of us see law enforcement as what we're supposed to do and it was what i signed up to do and what i agreed to do and so therefore i don't see it really as a sacrifice i agree in part i, I thought 
when I was coming into police work, I had a good idea of what I was getting into. It turns out I really didn't comprehend how violent it really was, how much trauma I would see, and how much violence I had endured. I really had no idea. And I, I guess I kind of get a little upset when people say, well, they knew what they signed up for, because I really didn't. And, and I do agree. Um, you know, I'm a second-generation law enforcement officer. Um, I have a large number of family members that are in the law enforcement careers. So I, I did. I thought I knew what I was getting into. I thought I knew what it was going to be. Certainly, you think your training in the academy is setting you up for everything. But unfortunately, there's going to be things that you see and experience that they can't set you up for. They can't recreate sound, smells, feelings, the emotions that go along with things. They do the best they can through scenario training. But unfortunately, until it happens, there's certain things that we're just not going to ever be prepared for. How long were you on the job? 12 years. Okay. And you retired. Was, are you able to talk about what preceded your retirement? I can. Um, I was retired for post-traumatic stress. And again, some of that, I think, played into numerous issues that went together. So that's where I'm at now. I've been retired since July. Well, I I do appreciate you saying that in the manner you did. What I liked about it, to be honest with you, Molly, is you said it in a very matter-of-fact way. No different than if an officer broke their leg in a car accident. You said, I got retired due to post-traumatic stress. I broke my leg horribly. I was shot. I, uh, I, I have career-ending injuries. When people say it that way, we understand it. When you say, I retired due to post-traumatic stress, you said it as if, and I think the way we had to treat it, as if it was an injury. It, it is. It very much is. You know, It has the same lasting effect. You think of somebody who does have an injury, from uh, a physical injury, I'll reclassify that, from an accident, they're going to have long-term effects. They're going to need therapy. They're going to need rehab. They're going to need, you know, possibly a brace or some sort of a support system. And those things all parallel to mental health and post-traumatic stress. That um, it's a work in progress. I go to counseling on a regular basis. That's my physical therapy equivalent. Um, you know, I need a support system from my family. I am not the same person that I was when I started my career in law enforcement. So. It has been life-changing, and as with any other injury, you do the best you can to adapt and to work with where you're at. By the way, if anybody out there is suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder-related issues, whether it be combat veteran, military veteran, first responder, firefighter, law enforcement, uh, check out the good folks at Transformations Treatment Center, 888-991-9725. Their Help for Heroes program is run by first responders, combat veterans that are trained professionals whether it be substance abuse and issues going along with that post-traumatic stress disorder they are the folks to get a hold of that's transformationstreatment.center 888-991-9725 for many of us it's not just one incident that brought about this scenario of post-traumatic stress was it one catastrophic incident for you one critical incident people is a term they use or was it a cumulative thing no, it was definitely. Um, it's what's referred to a lot of times as complex post-traumatic stress. Um, it's the buildup of things. And obviously, there was kind of a tipping point for me. Um, and I think that that's common for a lot of people. Um, I guess it's like the lawn game with the blocks. You start pulling enough of them out, and eventually it's going to fall over. So I think that people all have a different tipping point, And, it, you know, it's going to just depend on 
previous life experiences, where you're at now, and the way that those things are going to play out for people. But it definitely, it was multiple things that played into my retirement. Are you able to talk about any of them, or is it just too uncomfortable at this point still? Um, I mean, along the lines of where we're at and what we're discussing, I can say that obviously my tipping point was the loss of my closest friend on the department, whose life ended by suicide. And I think that for me, thinking of my career in law enforcement, I was supposed to save people and I was supposed to protect people. And I struggled greatly with the fact that I was not able to save and protect the person I cared about most. So, um, it it was just a constant every day at work following that was a constant reminder of what I was supposed to be doing and how at one point in time I had in my mind failed at that. I get it a hundred percent. For me, it was accumulation of all the events I've been through. And a big part of what you said was the, we're supposed to protect, we're supposed to, to save people. And when I promoted a sergeant, I became even more aware of the responsibility of making sure that the men and women that worked under me did their job the best of their ability, but also they were safe at all times. And it's it's a Herculean feat you can't do. You're right. Um, you know, I think that we tend to carry more than than a person actually is intended to. We put a lot of responsibility on ourselves. We blame ourselves for a lot. We second guess a lot of things that happen. And we like to think that we're in control of circumstances because of our training and because of our experience. But the reality is that life comes at you from all different directions and in so many different ways. And you need to go in and do the best you can with it. But we aren't able to reverse certain things that happen. And I think that that's really important for law enforcement and first responders to realize is that you can do the best you can, but you can't change the facts that have already happened. And that took a long time for me to understand and to be able to process that given information that I had, there was nothing else I could have done. And that's hard to accept. It is hard to say. There's a lot of good articles on our website referring to this. Uh, Go to letradioshow.com and do a search. I got a phone call from a person just a couple of days ago and it's involving a, a police officer in a county not far from you i'm not going to say their name i'm not going to say what department or anything uh, but this officer got dispatched to a call uh was sent on the street without a body camera because they didn't have enough uh was sent out with a car that didn't have a safety partition to put a, a prisoner in the back and uh, had the guy in the front seat and the guy wound up reportedly making a play for his service weapon and uh, a struggle ensued and he wound up shooting the guy and killing him and then got arrested the very next day for murder and is in, still in jail for murder. And what I'm getting at is I, I don't know the man. I don't know what happened. I wasn't there. I don't have the facts. I don't have the evidence. But when this person started talking to me about it, it reminded me of my own close call with the guy trying to shoot me with my service weapon while still in my hand. And it was, Molly, it was as if I had just gone through it again. The the emotions, the physical reaction was immediate and intense, and it lasted for better part of 24 hours. I'm talking about adrenaline. I'm talking mm-hmm. about hypervigilance. I'm talking about irritability, all that stuff. It's as if it never, it's as if it happened to me yesterday. We're talking with Molly Stone, retired Montgomery County, Maryland police officer. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. 
The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. This is Law Enforcement Show. I'm John J. Wiley, retired Baltimore police sergeant, joined by retired Montgomery, Maryland police officer Molly Stone. Molly uh, retired not that long ago, actually, uh, under post-traumatic stress, job-related issues. And for many years in Maryland and still other parts of the United States, officers can't get retired from that. As a matter of fact, we just had a guy who was on a show not long ago. He's a SWAT sergeant. He was shot twice with a 308 rifle, had severe injuries, couldn't do his job anymore in Oklahoma, and his town just fired him. With no, I've had other people on a show where they were shot multiple times. One guy in particular in Texarkana, part of Texas, mm-hmm. and he was retired on social security disability and they lost their home. Many parts of the United States, it's changing, but officers still can't get retired on PTSD or PTSD unless it's with a physical injury. So I'm kind of glad to see that at least your department, your county, is being progressive enough mm-hmm. to recognize this. You're right. And it's very unfortunate, the scenarios that so many officers are going through. And I think that that's something that we really need to bring awareness to is that whether it is a physical injury or a mental injury, any kind of injury to an officer, there needs to be guidance for that officer through that process. Because I think a lot of what is happening is that we have a lot of steps in place for physical injuries. There are documents from previous officer injuries that you can follow along and there's procedures in place and I think that there are a lot of questions when it comes to mental health and unfortunately a lot of it's brought to light when an officer is in a crisis situation with their mental health and unfortunately that's not the time to start making plans and so if I can encourage departments to do anything it's to start getting those procedures in place Start having someone that can act as a liaison for that officer. I was fortunate I had a lot of good guidance along the way and people that were able to suggest who to talk to as far as counselors and psychiatrists. And I I think that that's a huge step that every department can take to do better for their officers. One of the things I've noticed, and I I don't like to compare, but I, I grew up in the Vietnam era. And I remember when a lot of those men were coming home. As a matter of fact, a lot of guys I went to elementary school with, uh, boys and girls, they had fathers who were prisoners of war. And they never knew what their status was. And when these men and women came home, the VA didn't have all the things they have nowadays. And people might want to argue whether it's good or bad. I'm not here to, to debate that. But especially when it came to post-traumatic stress issues. Mm-hmm. And now they have far more. And it seems to me in our military community that when a, a, a man or woman goes overseas and is combat, no one blinks an eye when they come home and, and they're not the same. And right. the, the veteran seems to be okay with that too as far as being more open to, to receiving help. But you take the same man or woman and make them become a police officer and they won't talk to anybody about it. And I, and I think, again, that's because we don't have clear guidelines and so there's a lot of questions and there's a lot of well what if i do this what's going to happen and then where do i go from there i guess fortunately or unfortunately i got to a point where i didn't have a choice but to ask for help and at that point 
I couldn't worry about whether my career was going to still be there when I came back, whether I was going to have an option to go back. I knew I needed help because I was in such a dark spot, and help was really my only option at that point. So, you know, I think one of the things that we, again, need to kind of encourage and something that we need to talk about among police officers is that when you get to that point and when you are struggling so badly, I realize you want your job and you want to be able to go back. And there's a lot of things that we want and we don't want to give up. But sometimes it's not about that anymore. And it's about your safety. And it's about being the best version of you for the people that love you and care about you and making those choices as hard as they can be. You know, you have a life outside of your job. I know a lot of us forget that. And we get so wrapped up in our jobs and we're working multiple jobs and we're trying to take other positions and I think that sometimes we become law enforcement, and when you get into that dark place, you have to realize that there's more you're fighting for. You're not just fighting for your job in that position, and you have to fight for the people that love you and care about you. One of the best analogies I've been given was a guest on the Law Enforcement Today show, and it was quite a while ago, and they said, working in law enforcement, the best description they came up was when you graduate from the academy, they give you a top-of-the-line, state-of-the-art backpack. And you carry this backpack with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and every call you go to, you pick up a stone. It could be a big stone, a big, horrific incident call. It could be a little stone. But after a period of time, that backpack gets full, and you pick up one stone too many, and the whole thing falls apart, and the person carrying it is devastated. And that was the best description I've ever heard about what it's like. I wasn't prepared. We talked earlier. I thought I knew what I was getting into. I wasn't prepared for the amount of physical violence I would see. People talk Mm -hmm. about car accidents. Yeah, they were bad. Seeing people uh, horrifically injured in a car accident was bad. But in my mind, Molly, I could understand that that was an accident. It wasn't on purpose. But when I saw Mm -hmm. people stabbed and family domestics over who got to lead the Thanksgiving prayer... When I saw people abuse their children horribly with putting cigarettes out on them, I wasn't prepared for that. And to this day, I'm not, I have not found a way to be able to explain that in my mind and put it in its proper place. And you're right. I've talked to numerous other officers and veterans as well, and that seems to be a common theme throughout a lot of the discussions is that nothing really prepares you for what a person can do to another person. And... It's kind of when that happens that I think your eyes are open to something that you've never seen before. Um, as you described, accidents happen. We know that they happen, as unfortunate as they are. But really, when you see that interpersonal contact and things that a person can do to themselves and others is, is when it starts to get really tough. It does. And to this day, when I say I can't put it in its proper place, I've gotten better at it. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. For those listening, a lot of what I do nowadays is I I meditate, I keep my mind clear, I try to focus on what I'm doing today, and I try not to get into thinking about the past, because, and I'll be honest with you, certain movies bring it up. Dash cam videos, police body cam videos, I have to watch them periodically for what I do here at Law Enforcement Today, but those are very disturbing. It's, It's as if I get right back into the battle again and i just at this point in my life i choose not to do that and i agree i think that something actually that you had mentioned earlier um 
when you were talking about some of the scenes that, and things you dealt with as a supervisor, that just to keep in mind that with every scenario that every officer goes in, we don't know the facts of their entire life. So we don't know what's going to trigger one person or another where you might be able to watch a movie that I can't. It might be then the same way or, you know, the other way around. So I think that everybody's life experiences are going to play into what becomes trauma for them. And I think that as officers, that's the kindest thing we can do for each other is to keep that mindset that I don't know where the person sitting next to me in roll call. I don't know where they've come from as far as the details of their life. And so if something upsets them, it upsets them, whether I think it should or not, or same as the other way around, that if I feel that something was hard to see, they might not. But I think just remembering that we all come from somewhere and we all come from a place of wanting to do our best and and that we are going to have emotions and we're going to have reactions to things and we just need to remember that with each other and be kinder and just keep an open mind and that way we can seek help for each other when we need to. One of the best things I think that we can start doing as a Blue family is talk to each other. Uh, when we return, mm-hmm. we are talking with Molly Stone, retired Montgomery, Maryland police officer. Uh, We're talking about suicide awareness prevention. We're also talking about post-traumatic stress. When we return, we're going to talk about some of the things that people in the community can do, what they see, and maybe some differences that we can all make. We're all over social media. Be sure to like and follow our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. We're on Twitter. Follow us at LET Radio Show Podcast. And on Instagram, look for LET Radio Show Podcast. Of course, don't forget our website, letradioshow.com This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. So many people ask me, how did I transition from police work to a career in radio? What did I do to become a music radio DJ? Plus, host of the syndicated Law Enforcement Today radio talk show and podcast. The answer is simple. I attended the Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting where I learned by doing. At Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting's 11 East Coast campuses, students have learned by doing for 55 years, radio, television, podcasting, and now coding for web development. At the Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, students learn in months, not years. Day and evening classes are available. Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting is perfect for those graduating from high school, adults looking for new career training, first responders, and veterans too. For veterans, some or all your tuition could be covered by your VA benefits. Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting has locations in Connecticut, Florida, Georgia, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, and North Carolina. Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting training in audio, video production, television, sports, podcasting, radio, and web development. What are you waiting for? Get more information. Call 800-887-2346 or online at gocsb.com. For special offers and consideration, tell them you heard about them from Law Enforcement Today. That's 800-887-2346 and online at gocsb.com. Again, 800-887-2346 and online at gocsb.com. Back to our conversation with retired Montgomery, Maryland police officer Molly Stone on the Law Enforcement Today show. Molly, we've been talking a lot about post-traumatic stress disorder, injury, whatever term people want to use. We've been talking a lot about suicide awareness prevention in law enforcement. And by the way, this is not something that's just unique to law enforcement. Our, our military veterans have staggering numbers of suicide. Um, mm-hmm. 
I read somewhere recently that, and I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but let's just say that in the general population, the suicide rate for people is one out of 100. For law enforcement, it's something like one, like 14 out of 100, something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have the exact numbers, but it's very, very high. And we keep hearing numbers from our military that's like 22, 22 a day. Uh, I've heard right. it's higher than that. And I suspect that a big problem is with our retirees that the number's even higher, that those numbers don't get reported with anywhere near the accuracy that our active duty people are. I agree. One of the things I I really take exception to is the news media and their coverage of policing in the United States. And when I say news media, I'm referring to Hollywood, the newspaper, television news, all of them, movies, TV shows. One of the questions I like to ask law enforcement officers is, What is something about law enforcement, for your experience, that America has no idea about or has gotten totally wrong? Wow. I think I would say that what your everyday American doesn't realize about law enforcement is that 99.9% of us are out there because we care. And that seems to be a point that's lost on people, that our priorities are not tickets, our priorities are not numbers of arrests our priorities are that we care we either care because it's the town we grew up in or it's a community that we now have moved our families into we care about the people we care about the well-being and we care about doing what's right and so i think that oftentimes it's overlooked by some of the other numbers that are produced and the other things that make news stories but that the majority of people just care they do you're you're so right I worked in a very bad area. Most of my career is in very bad areas of of Baltimore. And Mm -hmm. one of the things I get, I I tell people quite often, is we've made an emphasis on trying to get bad guys with guns. We didn't go after everybody had guns. We had people, I'll give you an example, uh, an elderly person walking to the grocery store. A lot of them would carry a little gun in their pocket. They weren't licensed. These people were not criminals. We knew it. They knew that we knew it, and no one cared. They weren't mm-hmm. gonna create a problem. You had a man or woman who was you know, in trouble when they're 18, here they are 40, and they got a gun in the house, and they shouldn't have one, but clearly not criminals. We weren't locking those people up every day. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, we, we almost never did, because that wasn't a source of problems. And yet, whenever we locked up someone with a gun, I remember clearly locking up a guy who had a gun, had a Colt Python 357 revolver, and he's supposed to be in jail, and a year later, he shot and killed a Baltimore police officer because he, he wasn't in jail like he should have been. And when I locked this guy up, right. people were yelling at me, leave him alone, he's minding his own business. Mm-hmm. And that's the part I never can seem to get through to people that we don't have bad intentions when we're out there. We're trying to make life safer for you. Correct, and I think that, I think that there's a small, silent majority that is, starting to vocalize their opinions and starting to kind of step up and say, hey, you know, the majority of the cops out there are good and they are trying. And But unfortunately, that's a small group that's willing to start coming forward and saying that. And we're just really at a time in society right now where we need more people to do that and to speak up and say, I support my police officers. I think they're doing a good job. They're keeping me safe. They're keeping my family safe. Um, and, and start looking really at the root of the problem rather than trying to blame the officer that showed up on scene. That's a great 
great idea. How do we get people to do that? Or is that a question that neither you or I can answer? Yeah, I, I really wish there was a clear-cut answer. Um, again, I know that there are some groups that are starting to promote through social media good interactions with officers, you know, their officers in their community, those types of things. But there's just not enough of it. And I think that goes to show, though, that's because the majority of the officers are doing the right thing. And if, if we put all of that out there, it would be so overwhelming because – to most of us, that's just what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to have a positive interaction with the community. So it's not something I'm going to record or put on the Internet because that's just what's supposed to happen. And um, But unfortunately, it's just being outnumbered by the few negative experiences. And, of course, there's a lot of false narratives being pushed, and, and the news media is a big one for that. And we had a saying back in Baltimore, I'm sure it applied for your part of Maryland as well, uh, as mm-hmm. if it bleeds, it leads, and they're referring to their print news. So right. their headlines were always written in a way, even way back then, that uh, the police were the bad guy. And quite often when the officer did everything they were supposed to do and was exonerated and justified, that wouldn't be written in the article to the very end. Knowing full well right. people don't read that. They just they look at the headlines and, oh, he's guilty, she's guilty, throw him in jail. Right, and I think that Again, you know, for the majority of the officers, they know that they're doing the right thing. But it definitely would be helpful if there was a more of a presence of positive news as far as law enforcement goes and a lot more support. And, and that comes down to local governments and everything, you know, passing laws that support your officers and that stand behind them and allow them to do the job that they need to do. Well, that's one of the things that people can do is social media is a very powerful force in, in our society nowadays. And uh, make sure you follow and like my Facebook page. That's the Law Enforcement Today radio show. And when you see something that interests you, click like and share it. And that's that would be a, a very easy way to, to start making a profound difference. One of the things that is almost like the elephant in the closet. You have 99.9% of officers doing the best they can every day. And then you have officers that are doing really, really good for many, many years, and then they have a bad moment. They say something they shouldn't say. They lose their temper. And quite often, I I look at those people nowadays as possibly suffering from issues with trauma, stress, critical incidents, post-traumatic stress, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Um, And you and I have seen that hundreds of times. Is there something that we in society should be doing, uh, especially in our law enforcement family, where when we see that, is there something you would recommend that they do? I wish I had answers to all of that. Um, You know, individual departments are going to be a little bit different, I think, but definitely I think something that could go to become a positive would be just allowing for more decompression, Um, whether that's debriefing incidents that take place, similar to like a roll call after a shift. there, There maybe just needs to be a little bit of time for an officer to decompress from moving from one thing to the next. And I know that's hard because everybody's understaffed. Everybody's working overtime. Everybody's covering an extra beat or an extra detail. Or Officers are stretched very thin all across America. So I do understand that. But I think that the more that we start to bring awareness to how these stressors play out into an officer's life, I think that we can start making it more of a priority. One of the things I will do is I will listen. I don't always have the answers, and quite often I don't know what to say. And judging from what I see, your actions or what you're doing, particularly on social media, that you're one of those people as well. 
your mission now that you retired you've kind of taken this on as something you want to do to raise awareness try to help what are some of the things that you're doing really what i'm trying to do is i'm not trying to become an organization or a nonprofit or anything like that i'm really just simply trying to make my story available to other officers i struggled a lot with feeling very alone in a lot of the things that i was feeling and dealing with and i had wished that there was a very vocal example for me to follow and so i realized i've gone through my experiences they are what they are as you said i don't have a problem telling people i'm retired for post-traumatic stress I, I've just really come to kind of accept where things are and I'm willing to talk about them. And so if by sharing what I'm going through and trying to put words to some of the things that I was feeling, if that makes somebody else just not feel alone, then I feel like I'm making progress. So really my ultimate goal is to let anybody that's feeling lost know that there's somebody else out there and that they're not alone. And in your advocacy work, for lack of better words, are you doing anything directly with Blue Help? So primarily my interaction with them is through Police Week, um, being a D.C. local. That, that tends to be a great time for me to get involved with them. Um, currently, to be honest with you, I'm still very focused on my healing process, and I need to make sure that I'm keeping that and my health is my number one priority right now. So I do have hopes of being able to become more involved with them, um, but also making sure that I'm doing things and making healthy choices for myself. For example, I just passed up a chance to do an interview with them. It it just came about a little too quickly, and it it was something that I just knew trying to get all the pieces in place probably wouldn't have been a really smart choice for me at the time. So trying to prioritize that and make sure that counseling on a regular, consistent basis and things like that are all in place for me. Molly, thanks so very much for your service, and thanks for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't be a stranger. Very much appreciate it here anytime. Thank you. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. We've got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.